What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA Show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. As we get you ready for week three in the NFL, we're going to be joined by Connor Hughes from SNY in just a little bit. We'll preview this Jets-Patriots game coming up on Sunday. A ton of pressure on the Patriots because I don't know if we're prepared for an 0-3 start here with the Patriots, so we'll preview that game with Connor Hughes in just a little bit. But where I want to start is just how frustrating this now three-plus-year stretch has been for the Patriots really in the post-Tom Brady era. And this is going to sound crazy when I first say this out loud, but after we present the evidence, it will not sound as crazy. But Bill Belichick, as the GM of this team, has been very comparable to Heim Bloom, who just received his walking papers from the Red Sox last week. So if we just start with 2020, okay, they are very comparable. And remember, 18, Belichick drafted Sony Michelle and Isaiah Wynn in the first round. Sony has retired, and Isaiah Wynn is now playing for the Miami Dolphins. What we found out is he's not a tackle. He's actually playing guard for Miami. And in 19, of course, maybe the worst pick that Bill Belichick has ever made, Nikhil Harry. And remember, in 2019, you also traded for Mohamed Sanu. So that doesn't even count 18 and 19, right? We're looking at when Heim Bloom was hired at the start of the 2020 season, or I should say after the 2019 season. So I'm just going from 2020 to be fair with Belichick in this Heim Bloom comparison because Bill 1819 wasn't great either. 
And the craziest thing to me about this stretch is since 2020, Bill won the executive of the year in 2021. Think about it. We all look at this stretch for the Patriots and we say, this has not been good. Bill actually won the executive of the year in 2021. And it felt like to me at the time, I'll tell you, I bought it hook, line and sinker myself. I will admit I was like, oh, they're on to something here, right? Like, oh, they got a quarterback in Mac Jones. They get Matthew Judon. This is going to be good for the Patriots. But I was wrong about that at the time. And clearly the voters were wrong for giving Bill the executive of the year because it didn't really look sustainable even at the end of that season, right? So let's start in 2020 when Brady leaves for Tampa. They go into the offseason with no plan to replace the greatest quarterback of all time. This is something that Heim Bloom struggled with as well. We've mentioned it multiple times. Hey, Hunter Renfro, 30 home runs. We'll see you later. We'll bring in Jackie Bradley Jr. Yeah, Heim, the major league outfielder, you're not going to go get that guy. We've seen this with Heim Bloom. But they went into the plan, or they went into the offseason believing, you know what? Jarrett Stidham, Brian Hoyer. We got this. And then at some point during the offseason, it probably registered to them, yeah, Stidham can't play. Stidham may actually suck. So they signed Cam Newton at the end of June. Why was Cam Newton available? Well, because no other team wanted him. Cam was coming off a Liz Frank injury and his shoulder was damaged goods. Evidence was clear, right? When we actually saw him play during the season, he couldn't throw the ball down the field. The dude was done. And we would all find out that the forward pass was not going to be a main component to the Patriots offense in the year 2020, okay? So in the 2020 draft, the Patriots traded out of the first round. They sent a 23rd pick or the 23rd pick to the Chargers. The Chargers take Kenneth Murray. That's not really important for the sake of the conversation. But the Patriots end up taking Kyle Duggar with one of the picks they got back at 37. I like Duggar as a player. I've told you that multiple times. But do you know who went three picks after Murray at 20 at 25? Jordan Love, or I should say at 26, Jordan Love. And look. We are very, very, very early in Jordan Love's actual playing career. The Packers are one and one, but you know who leads the NFL in passer rating two weeks into the season? Jordan Love, 118.8. And look, there is no guarantee with Jordan Love. I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar quarterback for the rest of his career. But I will say this. He is unequivocally more talented than Mac Jones. He is more athletic. He has a bigger arm, and we've seen he can throw from different arm angles that, quite frankly, Mac can't. And also, Jordan Love can throw on the move. When Mac actually completes a pass on the move, we're like, whoa, this is crazy, right? Nice to see Mac do that. Jordan Love can do that routinely. And look, I'm not acting like I watched a ton of Jordan Love when he was at Utah State. But if you go back to 2020, remember, Bill called it, his own words, he called it a reset year because he said they went all out to win Super Bowls. So you're basically acknowledging your team is not going to be that good in 2020. So it was a reset year, in the words of the guy running the organization. Wouldn't that be the perfect time to take a shot on a quarterback, especially after you just lost the greatest one of all time? Remember, the Packers were crushed for the Jordan Love pick, not because of the player. They were crushed because of Aaron Rodgers was still with the organization, right? That's why they were crushed. It wasn't like, oh, Jordan Love is never going to be good in this league. Even if most people thought he was somewhat of a project, it was more about, well, why are you taking a quarterback in the first round when you have this quarterback in his mid-30s and you should be trying to get him players to help win a Super Bowl, right? That was the critique. It wasn't the player. But it turns out the Packers were actually right by doing this because Rodgers ended up leaving 
and they had his replacement in-house on the current roster. And they made it to an NFC title game in 2020, and they choked against Tom. Their roster was good enough to win and get to a Super Bowl. It's just they couldn't beat Tom Brady that year. But with Jordan Love, so they were proven right by that pick, by the way. So with Jordan Love, he was considered, as we mentioned, to be a long-term guy, like a project-type thing. But the talent was there. So he was a guy that needed to develop, right? And the Patriots could have developed him with Josh McDaniels in the building. Heck, they could have still signed Cam Newton if they really were so intrigued by Newton and played Cam and not played Jordan Love that entire season. Remember, they never even gave Stidham an opportunity that year. And we've seen that Josh McDaniels loves to develop quarterbacks. We saw his all his work with Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Love is where the league is right now. If you look at just who he is as a player, athletic quarterbacks that can extend plays and that can throw on the move, different arm angles, etc. Mac has none of that. And if you were resetting, these are not my words. Bill Belichick said it was a reset year in 2020. This is the type of player you draft and you take a shot on, right? But instead, the Patriots were too proud of a franchise after the greatest player in the history of the sport leaves, even in what was deemed a reset year, you were still trying to win now, right? That was the problem. And then you look, the roster was not good in 19. And this should have made it easier, right? It also made it easier for Tom to leave because he's like, all right, they're going to lowball me with the contract. The team's not that good. I might as well just leave, right? But if you just think about it from this perspective, your roster was not good after the 19th season. It wasn't good in the 19th season, right? Like what we found out found out about the defense, paper tigers and all that. So if the roster wasn't that good, the coach and the guy running the organization said it was a reset year financially. This is the time to sort of bottom out, rebuild and take a shot on a young quarterback. Instead, the Patriots wait and they find out, oh yeah, Cam Newton can't play. Like the rest of the league had already determined Cam Newton wasn't good at football anymore. The Patriots still believed he could play. And I'll admit, like, I was like, oh, maybe Cam will work. Obviously, it didn't work, right? The Patriots are paid to make those type of decisions. Bill Belichick is paid to make those type of decisions. Didn't work. So what do they do? They take Mac with the 15th overall pick. And Mac had a good rookie season. We'd all acknowledge that. But even then, and maybe some of you are so pro-Mac that you won't admit this, even then, we saw there are limitations physically. I thought Mac really competed in that playoff game against Buffalo, But when you see Josh Allen on the other side and you see Mac Jones, there is a wide gap from a talent perspective, right? We can all acknowledge that. And I'm not saying that Jordan Love is in the Josh Allen class, but he's a lot more talented than Mac Jones. I think most of us would acknowledge that, right? And when you have a limited quarterback like Mac, like Kirk Cousins, like Ryan Tannehill, like Jimmy Garoppolo, you need to put together really good offensive personnel around them, right? And the Patriots, they haven't done that. So with a limited quarterback, he's going to need more help. The Patriots have been one of the worst teams in the NFL building around their quarterback. So taking a guy like Mack instead of taking a shot on a guy like Jordan Love proved that the Patriots, they didn't really have a vision of where the league is going, right? Or maybe they just didn't want to go where the rest of the league was going. They wanted that prototypical old school pocket quarterback when the rest of the league was saying, The Tom Brady type quarterback doesn't really exist anymore unless it's Tom Brady who's still playing at the age of 40. The Peyton Manning-like quarterback, the traditional pocket passer, we don't see many of those guys anymore. The best quarterbacks are who? Mahomes, Josh Allen, those type of quarterbacks, right? All the guys that can extend plays, even to a lesser extent, Joe Burrow, who I know he's dealing with an injury right now, has not had a good start to the season because of that. 
But Joe Burrow is incredible throwing the ball on the run and extending plays. One of the best quarterbacks in recent years when he has more than two and a half seconds in the pocket to work with because he's very good at extending plays, right? So the Patriots, what they didn't do is embrace the new age quarterback. And let me just ask you this. For everyone that will point to Mac's rookie season, and I acknowledge he was a pretty good rookie season, and I've been through it on the pod, they didn't win any games that year because of Mac. We did this whole thing before the season. When is Mac going to actually beat a good team? He hasn't, right? In terms of him being the reason the Patriots won, it hasn't happened yet. But what is more likely? I would ask you this question. Mac is the starting quarterback of the Patriots in 2025, or Jordan Love is the starting quarterback of the Packers in 2025? To me, the answer is pretty simple. I believe Jordan Love will be the starting quarterback for the Packers in 2025. I do not believe that Mac Jones will be the starting quarterback for the Patriots in 2025. But furthermore, it's not just that, right? It's a ton of things. Let's just look at what else the Patriots did in 2020. Duggar, like I said, I like the pick, even though the process, I don't really like it, the Jordan Love thing, but I do like Duggar as a player. Uche has turned into a good pick on when you a good pick, but they whiffed on Justin Rohrwasser, the kicker, and that was a whole different thing off the field. But more importantly, they missed on two tight ends, not one tight end, two tight ends. And they took them both in the third round, Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene. Asiasi was waived by the Bengals recently. Keene is on the Texans practice squad. He's been on the Eagles practice squad. He's been on the Broncos practice squad as well. So that was bad. The Patriots went out and they had to pay not one, two tight ends in 2021 after they just drafted two in the third round. This wasn't like a seventh round flyer or undrafted guys. They drafted two tight ends in the third round. The very next offseason, they knew those guys couldn't play and had to pay two tight ends in free agency. That is amazing to me, okay? Then you look at Jonu Smith. He was paid $26.7 million in two seasons here in terms of total cash. In two years, he had 539 yards. He had 55 receptions. You paid $26.7 million for that. Hunter Henry's a good player. I like him, but he's not an elite offensive weapon. And I like Hunter Henry. He's fine. But anyway, you just needed to get back to having a competent tight end room. And you put so many resources into it, right? And still, like, at times, you've underutilized Hunter Henry. But think about this. In basically a two-year period, the draft in 2020 and the 2021 offseason, you invested in four tight ends, two with draft picks in Dalton Keene and Devin Asiasi, with, and two in free agency, Hunter Henry and Devin Asiasi, and you got, you hit on one of them, 25%. And that one is a good player, but he's not somebody that opposing defenses are scared of. So you spent a ton of time trying to finally figure out the tight end position post-Gronk, still haven't figured it out. So in that 2021 spending spree, the Patriots also signed Nelson Aguilar. Aguilar got a two-year, $22 million contract, so $11 million per season. He was 19th among receivers in cap number in 2021. Aguilar finished with 473 receiving yards in 2021. That was 70th of 109 qualified receivers, okay? So the difference between his cap number and where he finished in receiving yards, a 51-spot difference. In 2022, Aguilar's cap number was ranked fifth among receivers because we know how teams do gymnastics with the cap. So it was a heavier hit in 2022. Good thing for the Patriots, he was actually less productive in 2022. 362 receiving yards, that ranked 89th of 103 qualified receivers. So an 84 spot difference between the receiving yards and the cap hit. 
So it's amazing to think about. So Janu and Aglor, just epic, massive whiffs. And there are some hits there, as we acknowledge. Judon has been great, tremendous. And that was a great contract that Bill signed. Really good contract. But two massive whiffs and whiffs that you overpaid for by miles when we're talking about Janu Smith and especially Aglor. Henry's fine. You can argue he's slightly overpaid, but he's fine. Bourne's a good contract, but he's been basically... One year of his contract, he was completely underused in 2022. All right, so let's flip forward to the 2022 draft. The Patriots traded back and they took a guard in Cole Strange in the first round. And a guard, first of all, you can question why would you use a first rounder on a non-premium position? It isn't a receiver. It isn't a corner. It isn't an edge player. Obviously, it isn't a quarterback. Not that you were going to take a quarterback that year. But even taking that out of the equation... Are we sure that Cole Strange is good at football? (laughs) He ranked 56th of 70 guards in pro football focus rankings in week two. Three pressures he gave up and a sack. Last season as a rookie, he was ranked 65th out of 87 guards in pro football focus grade. I'm not telling you it's the be-all end-all, but if you watch, you can tell that it's not like Cole Strange is this great player, right? So I just look at that and I say, well, hold on. You drafted a non-premium position. And the player may not even be good. That would be a brutal combination. I'm not saying that it's true yet, right? I mean, we got to see Cole Strange, give him some time here. But we're going to find out this season. That may just be a whiff at a non-premium position in the first round of the draft. That's just, if that ends up being the case, obviously that's bad evaluation. But it's also horrendous process by the Patriots to take a guard in that particular spot. All right, then you look at Tyquan Thornton. He's on IR to start his second straight season. We saw George Pickens... What he did on Monday night, the guy's incredibly talented, right? So a position you desperately needed, you used high draft capital on in the second round, he may turn out to be a complete bust. Does anybody think he's like getting into the receiver rotation when things get back? He did not have a good training camp, right? So then you look at the rest of that draft. So just looking at the receiver thing, Aguilar with born, okay, decent player. Parker, I'm not the biggest fan of Parker. Then you have this Tyquan Thornton situation. Aguilar obviously didn't work. Then you look at the rest of this draft, okay, going back to 2022. Marcus Jones, fine player, but not a number one or a number two corner for you. Jack Jones, I like it, but he's hurt, and he has all these off-the-field issues, right? Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris as running backs are gone, so you have to bring in a veteran in Ezekiel Elliott because you didn't hit on either one of those backs. Zappi, fine, but you were willing to cut him. So I guess he's gotten worse since he's become a Patriot. Now, I should mention in 2021, Barmore has shown some promise. And Stevenson is a stud, despite he's had a slow start to the season. But again, with Ramondre, he's a running back. And yes, he was elite last year. But again, it's a non-premium position. It's a running back. And I look at this year's draft. I love it. I love Gonzalez, to be fair. And I've talked about him a bunch in this pod. I love Keon White in particular. But you didn't sign an elite tackle, right, in the offseason. We've been through this when we talk about the line issues. So you've had issues. You didn't sign McGlinchey, Orlando Brown, Juwan Taylor. Instead, they went for Riley Reef. And you bring in a guy like Vidarian Lowe because of the injuries you had, right? So the line's a complete mess. And I'll get into that in greater detail and how it's really hurting Bill O'Brien. But if you look at this offseason, then you bring in Juju. His knee just may be done. He may not be the same player again, right? And I'm not trying to be overreactionary, but the Patriots clearly don't like him as much as they like their other receivers. And this is the guy they identified in the offseason. He has just nine receptions in the first two games. He's played just 56.5% of the offensive snaps. He was not on the field in week one during your two-minute drill. What does that say about Juju Smith-Schuster? He has been a non-factor. The guy that you signed over Jacoby Myers. And to be clear, 
I like the idea of sort of a yak guy, but you misevaluated the knee thing, which is a massive problem. I figured the organization knew the knee was going to be fine, right? Why would they sign the guy to the same contract to Jacoby Myers if the knee wasn't fine? So he was never going to be your number one receiver. He's not a traditional number one receiver to begin with. But if he wasn't healthy, you should have just given Jacoby Myers that contract, right? Juju makes a lot of sense on paper with his skill set. But if he's hurt and he's got a damaged knee, if his knee's going to be bad going forward, it makes no sense to sign him, right? This was your big ad in the offseason from an offensive perspective. And you look at it, your top three receivers right now, like think about who you would rather have on the field right now. Bourne or Juju? Bourne. Parker, and I'm not even the biggest Parker guy, Parker or Juju, Parker. Demario Douglas or Juju, Demario Douglas, right? Douglas was a good ad, by the way. Let's see him, them actually use him. Like, that would be nice if Bill will play him this week. But anyway, so let's just be clear about this because it's a lot that I went through. I know I gave out a lot of information there. But since 2020, you've put a ton of money into your weapons. In 2021, you spent the second most money against the cap on tight ends. In 2022, and remember, Johnny Smith, horrible. In 2022, that was first in cap spending on tight ends. How did that go? It was even worse because they didn't even involve Hunter Henry. You spent all this money on tight ends and you didn't even involve the one that's actually good. Second and first in cap number for tight ends in 2021-2022. Okay, in 2021, you were 10th against the cap on receivers. <laughs> Think about that. In 2022... You spent the second most money against the cap on receivers. In 2022, the Patriots, and I know we talk about Patricia all day. In 2022, the Patriots spent the second most money on receivers. They stunk. They had no passing game. And you spent the second most money against the salary cap on receivers. So your skill possessions, uh, your skill positions, I should say, you spent a ton of draft capital on your skill players. Two Third round picks on tight ends. And you paid two of them. You spent a ton of money, okay? And your bottom 10 right now, unequivocally, nobody can argue with this. You're bottom 10 in the NFL. And I'm even being generous here. You're bottom 10 in the NFL in pass catching group in the league during that stretch. And you're still there right now. Okay, so it hasn't gotten better. The offensive line is a massive issue. And there's a chance the one high draft pick you spent on an offensive lineman when we're talking about Cole Strange... He could be a miss. I mean, on when you's definitely hit. I give Bill credit for that. But the guy you spent a first round pick on could be a whiff. And then they add journeymen like Riley Reef and Kelvin Anderson, an unproven guy like Vidarian Lowe. The line has been a mess. Oh, and maybe above all else, we don't know if the quarterback, the most important position in sports to use the cliche, we don't know if he's your guy and we're leaning towards, or I shouldn't say we, I'm leaning towards... He's not your guy long-term, which would be the biggest screw-up of this whole situation. Like, getting the quarterback, if you just have that guy, you erase a lot of problems, right? But that right now is certainly a question as well. So in this four-year window, what did you really achieve? What do you really feel good about going forward? Sure, some of the defensive players, I like Christian Gonzalez. I like Judon, although if the Patriots get good again, Judon's probably going to be out of his prime. I love Keon White. I like Duggar. I like Uche. We'll see if they give those guys extensions. But the point being, sure, you have some nice players, most of them on the defensive side of the ball. But the point being in that four-year window, you've tried to put together a good group of weapons, right? That's been the idea based on the money you spent and the draft capital in the case of the tight ends and Tyquan Thornton in the second round. You failed and you've overpaid. You've overspent. 
you've gone cheap with the line. You spent on the receivers and tight ends. You go cheap on the line and you failed there, okay? And the quarterback may not be the guy. And you've done him no favors to help him with the Patricia situation last year. Remember, Bill's running the organization. Patricia's his choice. But you've done him no favors with the line and the weapon situation. And so just circling back to what I mentioned off the top, how much better has Bill the GM been to Heim Bloom since 2020? Bill was great for a long stretch of time, especially at the start of the first dynasty. Bill was great. How much better has he been than Heim Bloom who just got his walking papers over the last four years since Heim took over as the Red Sox president of baseball ops? Sure, they both had one playoff appearance. Heim in 2021, Bill in 2021. But with the Patriots, you looked at 2021, they had a ton of luck to get there, right? Two of your wins were against the Jets. The Panthers didn't have McCaffrey. The Browns didn't have Chubb. The Titans didn't have A.J. Brown or Derrick Henry. The Bills, that was a windstorm game, right? And with the Red Sox, great 2021 run, but you needed to add good bullpen arms to make this actually reliable going forward in 2022. They go with Jake Diekman. It takes Heim Bloom until 2023 to realize, hey, I should pay actually really good relievers like Chris Martin, like Kenley Jansen, and he had other issues this year. And you took away, as we mentioned, the 30 home runs, Hunter Renfro. You had no interest in bringing him back or anybody else. And that offseason was also 2022 ugly, where a dark cloud hung over the organization because of how they handled the whole Bogarts situation. Even if they didn't want to handle Bogarts or they didn't want to sign Bogarts, they should have handled it a lot better than they actually did. Now, the one thing that puts Heim over the top in terms of why his four-year run was worse than Bill, Mookie. That's, that's why. That's why Heim was worse than Bill, is you traded away a top five player in the game, no doubt about that. And right now, you could argue he's been the best player in baseball, non-Otani division. Otani, of course, done for the season. But non-Otani division, he's probably been the best player in the sport this year. You can make an argument for other guys. But you got back Verdugo, Jeter, Downs, and Connor Wong. Just atrocious. One of the all-time bad trades in the history of any sport, quite frankly. So Bill's made a ton of mistakes, but the Mookie trade is something that you pay for. But I do think that if you look at it, when you talk about the comparison here, Heim did do a better job of actually getting blue chip stars for the future. Meyer and Roman Anthony are massive hits going forward. Like those guys are going to be stars for this team. And Bill, yeah, Christian Gonzalez, that's certainly hit. But the most important position, you may have to go back and that resets your organization again, right? If you have to draft another quarterback and you can get, you look like we've seen teams like the Bucks, they got Brady in free agency. We saw the Jets, they got Aaron Rodgers in a trade or a trade for a guy like Stafford. But let me just ask you this, like if that is sort of a case to be made going forward with this Patriots team, why would a disgruntled quarterback come here? You have no weapons and no line. You think that's just going to massively improve next offseason? We have all this data that tells you the Patriots can't put together a competent offensive line anymore and they can't put together a good receiving group slash tight end group, right? So Bill has been objectively, this is not subjectively, objectively horrible at his job with roster building over the past four years. Heim did a horrible job with the big league stuff, right? And we all give him credit for the farm system and all that. We've been over this, but we all thought Heim should go. It's crazy. Like, Bill, the GM, who else could survive a stretch like that? And I'm not saying that Bill should be fired, but I'm just pointing it out that, like, if you had a GM that had this four-year stretch, there's no chance that guy still has his job. I mean, that is just horrible. It's a horrible stretch. And because Bill has been so bad with the roster, the only way to overcome the crazy odds of making the playoffs after starting 0-2. Remember, the odds of making the playoffs after starting 0-2, we talked about this the other day, south of 10%. The only way he does this is 
him like dialing up crazy stuff from a defensive perspective and just having some of the best coaching games of his career. Like imagine if Bill was the coach, right? Let's just say this is a hypothetical world we live in. Bill was the coach and this is the team that was given to him. I mean, we would be talking about this GM is screwed over Bill. He's got to go fire this guy. Just like we had this conversation all the time with Bloom. Look at the team he's given Alex Cora. How can you give Alex Cora this team? We would be having that same conversation, whatever the guy's name is. Ned Smith. Why did Ned Smith give Bill this roster? Fuck Ned Smith. Ned Smith's got to go. You're wasting the best coach in NFL history. Like, that's what we'd be saying. That's how bad it's been for Bill. I don't know how I came up with Ned Smith, but I did. Okay. So it just, I just wanted to go through that to sort of, this is not defending Heim, obviously, you know, never defined Heim Bloom, but just to point out, like, Bill has been really bad at his job for a four-year period, and it's really screwed his team. Okay, so that brings me to Sunday. The conversations and the narratives are going to get really dark around here if the Patriots lose Sunday, especially with Aaron Rodgers out for the season and Zach Wilson in. Zach Wilson has proven that he sucks. He has proven that he sucks even worse than he ordinarily does against the Patriots. Career numbers against the Pats. Four games. His completion percentage is 50.9%. Zach Wilson last year on the season was last with a 54.5% completion percentage. So he's actually worse than he was last year as the worst guy in the league completing passes. He's actually worse than that against the Patriots. 50.6 passer rating against the Patriots. That's almost difficult to even make up. Wilson was dead last last season with a 72.8 passer rating. So, and that was last in the NFL, as we mentioned. So more than 22 points worse against the Patriots than he was last year as the worst quarterback in the NFL. So he is not just his normal horrible against the Patriots. He takes it to a totally different level when he plays the Patriots. And think about your next two after this, if you're the Pats. Dallas, who looks like a wagon. And then, who, by the way, they... They've been incredible. But after that, you play the Saints, and that defense looks ruthless, right? I'm not scared of the offense, although Alave is great. Love to have him as the type of receiver for the Patriots. Maybe just draft an Ohio State receiver. That's my thing. But anyway, they haven't played the best competition, the Titans and the Panthers, but they're fourth in both success rate and EPA per play. And they have this long streak where they haven't given up more than 20 points in a game. The defense is good. But the 0-3 start, hypothetically, before those games, just think about the narratives that could play out here. I think we start really questioning everything, right? And I kind of went through some of the issues. I not kind of. I had a long list of some of the issues they've had. Even though I don't think Mac has been the problem this year specifically, this doesn't mean, I th- as I mentioned, I don't believe Mac. I don't believe in him as the long-term fix here. But anyway, he hasn't put the team on his back like we see other elite quarterbacks do. Or not other elite quarterbacks, actual elite quarterbacks. They put the team on the back. So even though Mac, he has not been the issue, but it's not exactly like you can ask him to carry this thing, right? So if the Patriots lose and Matt goes 0-3, that would bring him to 16-18 and 18 in the regular season and 16-19 and 19 overall. By the way, Cam Newton was 7-8. and eight. But anyway, so I think we really start to talk about the 2024 draft and talk about, hey, is Matt quarterbacking for his job the rest of the season? I really think even if they win this game, I really do think that Matt's quarterbacking for his job. And look, the assumption I had, hey, the Patriots will not be bad enough to get one of these good college quarterbacks in the first round. But then you look at it, if you get go 0-3, and even if they win this game, it could get ugly quick. But if you look at that 2024 draft, we know right now Caleb Williams is going number one no matter what, even if a team ends up at number one that has a quarterback, like, for example, the Cardinals with Kyler Murray. We don't even know if they want to keep Kyler Murray, but it doesn't matter. You're taking Caleb Williams. Like, you talk about some of the best prospects in the history of the quarterback position 
We're talking about Trevor Lawrence. We're talking about Andrew Luck. We're talking about Peyton Manning. We're talking about John Elway. Kayla Williams is there. Like, everyone knows he's going number one. Drake May has been penciled in as the number two guy. Has not had a great start to the season for North Carolina. Then you start to look at some of these other guys in no particular order. Shadair Sanders from Colorado, of course. We'll see if he comes out. Quinn Ewers from Texas. Michael Penix Jr. from Washington. Heck, and Penix is, he's old, man. He's in like his sixth year, but he's had an outstanding season. Ewers has had a good season for Texas. Sanders is a stud. I love Sanders. Heck, even Bo Nix from Oregon is getting like some first round buzz after it looked like he had this great game against Auburn, like to begin his college career. I'm like, this kid's really good. Then he transfers to Oregon. And ironically, that game was against Oregon when he was good for Auburn. But he seemed to figure it out in Oregon, right? That's a really good Oregon team too. Riley Leonard from Duke is getting a lot of buzz. J.J. McCarthy is getting a lot of hype. Now, some of these guys will certainly drop. But the point being is this is considered to be one of the deepest quarterback classes that we've ever seen. And by the time we get to the draft, we're going to land on at least three of the other quarterbacks in the non-Caleb Williams, non-Drake May conversation. I'm glad I said Drake May today. I usually say Luke May, the guy that played at North Carolina, his brother. So I'm glad I said Drake May today. But anyway, we're going to come up with probably... Three other guys that are definitely going in the first round. I think that Kraft would love Sanders. Tom is his mentor. He was just on Tom's podcast, the Let's Go podcast this week with Dion. Brady would be more involved. I would think that Kraft would like that because Brady trains the guy. I mean, Brady was talking to him about his cars. Don't worry about your cars. He's telling him to get in the film room. Like Brady has a relationship with obviously Dion, but obviously with his son as well. So with the state of the Patriots roster, it may be time to look around and say, hey, Mac is never going to get into the family photo as one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Our roster right now is not good enough to elevate an average or slightly above average or slightly below average quarterback, depending on the year. Like I would say that in 2021, Mac was slightly above average. I thought last year Mac was slightly below average. Right now, I think he's about average. So the Patriots may think and Robert Kraft may think, let's reset this thing with a young quarterback and on a rookie contract and try to get the roster building right this time around the quarterback because this past cycle with Mac, you didn't get it right. And it would suck that you have to point to the fact that, hey, Mac's just not the guy. Admit your mistake. But at this point, based on where the roster is, wouldn't you just truly embrace the rebuild with some of the young guys that I actually like on the team? We're talking about the Christian Gonzalez's of the world. At this point, what's the point? Actually acknowledge that you're not good anymore and rebuild this thing rather than try to stand that treadmill of mediocrity that the Patriots have been on really since Tom Brady left. So you'll have three years of data to go through after the season with Mac. So this is, by the way, this is not like the Bucs situation in 2020 where they literally could say, hey, we need a quarterback, let's go get Tom Brady. Or the Jets situation this past season where they're not as good talent-wise as the Bucs were in 2020, but they're pretty close, right? They didn't have the same offensive weapons. Like they have Garrett Wilson, who's great, but the Bucs had... Chris Evans, or Chris Goblin and Mike Evans, and Brady was going to bring his friend, this Rob Gronkowski guy, right? Like the twenty, the 2009 Vikings were loaded. They added Brett Favre, right? I, and I bring that up just to say, it doesn't even make sense if there is, and I don't, like I said, I don't think there's a veteran quarterback that's going to want to come to the Patriots, but it doesn't even make sense for the Patriots to go that route because they don't have the talent. Like, okay, you get a good quarterback. What are you going to do? You're not going to be that good anyway, right? So just finally embrace the rebuild and the youth movement if this thing does go south for the Patriots, because I really think you can get a good quarterback in this draft. In the post-Brady era, in this hypothetical, this is, what, three out of the four years 
if it continues the way it's going this year, that the Patriots will not be in the postseason. And they are trying to be competitive since Brady left. We're not desperate, I don't think, here. And I can only speak for myself. I don't know if you disagree or agree as a fan. But we're not desperate right now to try to be average and try to be plucky and competitive. We want to get back to contention as a fan base. And part of that is, yes, we're spoiled, especially people in my age bracket. I talked about that the other day. But I believe we would embrace taking that direction as a fan base because trying to be relevant the way the Patriots have, it just hasn't worked. I mean, even your one trip to the postseason, we realized how far away this team truly was when they stepped on the same field as the Buffalo Bills. Okay, so that's the first part is I think if you start 0-3, we start to think about, hey, is it time to replace the quarterback? And I know we've had these conversations from time to time, but I really think that starts to heat up. Is Mac really quarterbacking for his job? The other storyline I believe comes up if you're 0-3 is surrounding Bill. Is it actually, and I know it sounds crazy to say, but it's actually time to move on. And look, I don't want to sound like that crazy guy. This is not meant to be a hot take. I just look at the resume post-Tom. If you look at it excluding the playoffs, if they lose on Sunday, Bill's 25 and 28. That's a what? A 472 winning percentage. And just to put that into context, Lovey Smith's career winning percentage, 479. Rex Ryan, 480. Mike Tice, 492. Jack Del Rio, 497. Bill since Tom left, 472. Now, Rex and Lovey Smith had their moments. Of course, Lovey Smith went to a Super Bowl with the Bears. But nobody would consider those guys to be great coaches, right? Good coaches, not great. Especially Rex had his run. And then nobody thought Mike Tice and Jack Del Rio were these great coaches, despite some good seasons. Like, I'm not saying they were atrocious at their job, bad at their job, but they were about average at their job. And Bill's been slightly below average at his job since Tom Brady left. There's just no way around it. So I'm not one of those people that says Bill could never win without Tom, right? Bill's coaching, especially with the defense, was a huge reason they won three of their four Super Bowls. Bill is the best coach in the history of the NFL, right? Even going to the 2018 season, some of the game plans he came up were incredible, And Bill can still scheme it up with the best of them on the defensive side. Look what he did against the Eagles, right? That was impressive. But the results are the results. And I personally do not want to see it keep going in this direction for Bill. This is just me speaking selfishly as a fan of the Patriots organization. And remember, I suggested earlier this week, take the Chargers thing because that team's got a lot of talent. Maybe you can be successful there if I'm Bill. But the reason Bill's record is what it is post-Brady, we talked about it earlier, the roster isn't particularly good. So maybe at Bill at this point, he's just not capable of putting together a good roster. I mean, this is four years of data, and you could even go back to 18 and 19. And I don't, this is me. I don't want to see Bill suck. And it's heading in that direction if you start 0-3. I don't want to see that, right? We hate seeing old players stick around too long, and they're not good. I don't want to see this with the greatest coach in the history of the league. So I think the narrative starts. And this is why I believe Kraft was so motivated to keep Mayo. If it does sort of end poorly, I think he wants someone that's ready, and that's why Mayo's still here. So those two things start to pop up. Should they move on from Mac? And is Bill sort of losing it? Like, I really think in this post-Tom era, you can look at the direction of the program and say, how can you feel confident going forward? I certainly can, and I don't want Bill to suck here. Okay, the other thing I wanted to mention, and I alluded to this on the pod Tuesday with Zach Cox, I just want to hit on something real quick that the Patriots haven't been able to do. So the boss, Bill Simmons, sent me this note. Warren Sharp had Max deep passing stats, and it's been floating around on Twitter. So, and the numbers are horrific. But anyway, Pro Football Focus also has 20-plus yard passes. So Mac has three completions on those passes that have traveled more than 20 yards. He's just three for 13. 
So that's 23.1%, 22nd of 29 qualifiers, 4.1 yards per attempt, 26. So basically the Patriots, the point being the Patriots and Mac, they don't have a deep passing game right now. So this goes back to the whole idea of air yards completed per attempt or completed per completion, where Mac is at four yards, that's 28th of 33 qualifiers. So his average completed pass travels four yards. So if you go back to the short passing game, you need to have guys that are doing stuff after the catch. But with the Patriots, that isn't happening. So if you're 28th in air yards completed per completion, you have to have guys that do things after they catch the ball. But Mac is at just 4.4 yak per reception. That's 19th. So you're not throwing the ball down the field at all, and you're not getting any production after the catch. That combination is just bad. You look at Anthony Richardson. He's last in completed air yards per completion at 2.5 but he's third in yak per completion at 6.6. Dak is 30th in air yards per completion at 3.7, but he's at 5.3 yak per completion at ninth. Okay, so you can have a functional offense with a quick game and a short passing game, but you need guys that can do things after the catch. That's number one. The Patriots don't have that. Number two is getting back to this idea of no deep passing game. The way you drop shot plays, especially with a limited quarterback like Mack, is in the play action pass game. But just 13.3% of max dropbacks come via play action. This is from Pro Football Focus. We told you the other day, that's 30th of 33 qualifiers. And the 2.5 average depth of target is last. Play action, you're supposed to be throwing down the field. Max average depth of target is 2.5 with play action. So they can't even drop those shot plays because of the protection, right? The line, that's the issue. That's why they're not doing this. And Mac historically has been good in the play action game. He completes almost 71% of his passes compared to 65.6 without play action. Most guys go up, but Mac's been really good as a play action passer. And the big thing is the yards per attempt are at 8.2 compared to 6.6 when you actually draw those up. But if you look at, say, for example, Tannehill, who's an average talent at the quarterback position like Mac, when he really burst onto the season in 19, 29.9% of his dropbacks came via play action. That was in the top 10 in terms of rate. His 76.7% completion percentage was third, and the yards per attempt were first at 13.5. The average depth of target in play action was 10.7. Remember, Max at 2.5. So in other words, the Titans were drawing up shot plays and getting the ball down the field. And they did that because they had a great running back in Derrick Henry, and they had a guy that could make plays down the field in A.J. Brown. That's what the Patriots offense should look like with a limited quarterback in Mac. Play action, and play around your great running back. Heavy play action, right? But right now, the Patriots are 31st in pass block win rate via ESPN, and they're 27th in run block win rate for what it's worth. So you can't drop those shot plays because your line can't hold up to give Mac extra time to make those passes down the field. So the deep passing game has been non-existent. It isn't all on Mac. Like, Mac certainly doesn't have a great arm, but you could have somewhat of a deep passing game if you could actually use play action. And the other thing is, so what's happening? Well, because you don't have a play-action pass game, Mac's throwing a shit ton of screens. If you look at pro football focus, he has 19 attempts on screens, the most in the NFL by four, four more than any other quarterback. The yards per attempt on the screens, 3.6, 23rd of 33 qualifiers. So the screen game hasn't been effective at all. We like we need to see this line healthy to sort of judge what they can be as an offense. But the screen game doesn't work. You don't have a play action pass game. All this is because of your line. And then you look at Mac under center, where that's when a lot of the heavy play action would come from. First two games, you know how many attempts he's had under center? Six. Six out of 90, 6.7%. In 2022, that number was at 68 out of 442 attempts, 15.4%. In 
In 2021, Mac's best season in the NFL, his rookie year, 149 attempts under center out of 521, 28.6%, and he completed 69.8% of those passes. He was really good under center. So he's gone from his rookie season, 28.6% of his passes came under center when he was actually a good, competent quarterback. That's down to 6.7 so far this year. And the play action has gone from north of 26% of his dropbacks to south of 14%. So all the stuff that Mac did good in his rookie season, can't do it anymore. That's why you see a guy like Sauce Gardner is saying, hey, your offense is pretty simple. Sauce Gardner said that this week. You can say that. Like, you would never say that stuff about the Patriots, but you can now. He's not wrong. It's very simple. All right, so that's kind of where I'm at with this Patriots thing right now. I had to get that off my chest. All right, coming up next, Connor Hughes from SNY will join us. We'll preview the Pats and the Jets with Connor. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. And I'm looking at a four-legger this week at a four-game parlay. So how about this? This is for plus 510. The Dolphins on the money line just to beat the Broncos. The Ravens on the money line to beat the Colts. Seahawks are six-and-a-half-point favorites against Carolina. That Carolina team does not look good. The Seahawks got back on track, and we know about the home field advantage there. And the Chiefs are 12-and-a-half-point favorites against the Bears, and the Bears are a complete mess right now. So Chiefs to cover 12 and a half, Seahawks to cover six and a half, Ravens on the money line, Miami on the money line, that is plus 510. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Pike and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21 plus in president select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from SNY, it is Connor Hughes. Connor, thanks so much for taking some time, man. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. I'm doing well. How about yourselves? Doing well, doing well. And by the way, before we get started, John Jastrzemski, my buddy JJ, he's a frequent guest on the program so what's it like working with jj at sny it is it is never dull he is one of the (laughs) the the biggest balls of energy i think i've ever come in contact with uh and and i think the only thing that's better than than that energy is is the accent that he's got i mean that's just that's just next level (laughs) top notch yeah i gotta give him credit last week you know as he's a huge dolphins fan he came on the pod he predicted the score exactly right 24 to 17 dolphins unfortunately for the yeah, unfortunate for the Patriots, but he did get that one right. I, I picked the Patriots to win, which in hindsight looks pretty stupid considering how that game <laughs> went. <laughs> but all right, so yeah. let's get to the Zach Wilson of it all, Connor, because Robert Sala said, hey, he's their guy. And look, I know a couple of those interceptions last week were late in the game, but some couple of ugly ones. And you have after this, you have what the Chiefs coming up and then you have Denver, you got Philly, all these games before the bye. So I just wonder if it goes and we know that historically, I mean, Wilson has not been a good quarterback, but he's been even worse than he usually is against the Patriots. But do you think that if this game ends poorly for the Jets, is this the time where they kind of go back on Zach Wilson as their guy? Did they start to look for different quarterbacks? Are they waiting to see if things get ugly with the Vikings and maybe they go after a guy like Kirk Cousins? Like how important is this game in particular for Wilson? 
Uh, it's a huge one, right? Because I, I, I think that this is the crossroads. I was, I was actually talking about that um, on SMY today. Um, this is that, that is, this is the game. I know it's kind of silly to think about, like a, a season really going left or right in week three, but that's it. I, I don't think anyone. There was nothing that was going to happen in that Cowboy game that was going to deter guys in the locker room or the Jets coaching staff to veer away from Zach Wilson because they had the built-in excuses of, oh, that pass rush is so elite. Oh, we're on a short week in Dallas. Oh, it's the Cowboys in a top three defense. Oh, we're not really supposed to win. I mean, that was everything built in where no matter how good or bad Zach Wilson looked, it really wasn't, well, if he went good, obviously that's different, but no matter how bad he looked, it was always going to be able to have that kind of built-in excuse. That excuse is now gone here because the Patriots are not the Patriots that that I grew up watching or that you guys grew up watching. I still think they are a well-coached team. They're not a, a basement-dweller team, but they're 0-2 for a reason. There are legitimate holes on this roster. I think there's questions with Mac Jones and some concerns with the defense. If Zach Wilson goes into this game against the Patriots – at MetLife Stadium and lays a dud or is the reason why they lose turnovers, uh, inaccurate passes, a failure to get the offense moving, the Jets need to realize that they need to do what is best for 52 other players on this team, which would (laughs) be to start getting a contingency plan in place because these guys all across this team have been built up to believe that they are a Super Bowl caliber team. That is what they genuinely believe. Championship level defense, elite level playmakers if zach is the one who's holding them back they're going to have to do something to change it and i think that if he struggles against new england that's when that's going to be turned up quite a few degrees it's almost going to be so deafening uh especially even at metlife stadium with the way the fans will react but it will be so deafening to get someone else in here uh that i don't think it's like that player would start week four but that backup plan has to be starting has to be considered and and it can't be Tim Boyle like it has to be someone else yeah I was shocked at the beginning of this all that they just came out and said that he's their guy if it was me I would would have been looking for another quarterback right away and I know the thing is who else is there to get like that's the thing is that they if there was if there was somebody else out there that was a a competent quarterback with experience in a very very complicated offense that Nathaniel Hackett likes to run probably complicated to a fault he would be in here with the Jets right now. They basically know that there's no one there in free agency. There's no one there that they can go trade for that doesn't involve basically selling the house that is going to come in and, in their opinion, be better than Zach. So why not just try to boost this guy up and get him feeling like he's on top of the world and really inflate his confidence and hope that translates to some good football? Yeah, it's a fair point. My whole thing about Wilson is, though, is like he can rip the floor down, right? Rather than like, we know he's not going to like some of these other guys can't elevate the ceiling like obviously Aaron Rodgers could. But interesting that you mentioned in there Nathaniel Hackett. And I find this kind of a storyline going forward. And maybe it's not a story for the Jets right now. But if you think about it, like Zach Wilson, I know his reputation in New York is really bad. And he deserves that because of how he's played. But Some of the stuff with like his expected completion percentage is the worst in the NFL and his regular completion percentage is bad, but the expected is bad and the play action usage, it's 32nd out of 33 qualifiers. So it's not exactly like, and I'm not defending Zach Wilson, don't get me wrong here, but it's not exactly like since Zach Wilson has taken over for Aaron Rodgers, it's not exactly like Nathaniel Hackett has done a lot to help him in terms of easy layups or play action. Now, maybe some of that, and Connor, I know you watch every snap of Zach Wilson. Maybe some of that is he's just not taking those opportunities. 
But is there any sort of sense within the Jet fan base that like, hey, are we sure Nathaniel Hackett's good? He was kind of just here for Aaron Rodgers. Is there any thought with that? That's growing. Yeah, that's that. You're starting to see that grow. Um, I always, excuse me. I, I I genuinely like social media and monitoring social media because I do think that there's obviously the different avenues that you can read on it about, but that kind of gives you a good a good measuring stick of where the fan base is. And I think that that is starting to be um, looked at. Now, I will say that that when Nathaniel Hackett was hired, um, it reminded me the reaction to the Nathaniel Hackett hiring. Because remember, he was hired before Aaron Rodgers arrived. So right. when they hired Nathaniel Hackett, it actually reminded me a little bit of when the Jets hired Adam Gase as their head coach. And and I'll explain that real quick because not associating Gase and Hackett and all that stuff and how the offense was wrong, but Jet fans saw Hackett in Denver. They saw how bad that was. When the Jets then hired him while Robert Sala, you know, spoke about it and glowed about him and all that stuff, it was almost like all Jet fans were kind of like, yeah, but it looked really, really bad there. That doesn't really <laughs> make much sense. So so can you, I need to, it almost like they went into it being like, prove me wrong. I don't think this is going to work. Prove me wrong. And through the first two weeks, they ran rampant on the Bills, but offensively, they only scored 16 points against the Bills. Then they were really, really bad against the Cowboys. They're still now like similar to when Adam Gase was hired. Jets saw Jet fans saw him struggle in Miami, and it was like, we don't really see this, so prove to us we're wrong. It's almost like Hackett hasn't done that yet, and the Jets mm -hmm. offense hasn't done that yet. So I think there really is starting to be this like, dude, what the heck is this going on? Because I looked at the numbers. Now, granted, yes, the Jets played a good Bills defense, a very good Cowboys defense. The offensive numbers – Passing yards, rushing yards, points per game, total yards per game. They're all very, very similar right now, and in many cases worse than what they were last year in Denver. And I don't know. Like, I, it, I think it was very clear that the Jets high, and they're going to deny this, you know, every which way they can. But they hired Hackett to get Rodgers, and it worked. They got Rodgers, but now Rodgers is gone, and you're left with Hackett. And, and it's just through the first couple of weeks here, it has been rather underwhelming. Like the offense has been rather, there's been no creativity. There's been no, I know trick plays can be gimmicky, but there's been nothing to, if you're worried about Zach Wilson, the quarterback, manufacture yards, manufacture plays, get creative to get points. And that hasn't happened. You think about it. They went into a game against the Cowboys. They were so, so good, right? Cowboys are this dynamic dominant team. If you know that you need to get creative to get points. Where's the trick plays? Where are the jet sweeps to McCall Hardman? Where are the things to catch the defense off guard, to outcoach your opposition, to get points and try to steal a game? We have not seen that yet. It's almost like they're just going out there playing defense on offense and hoping their defense and special teams wins it. And I just don't think that's sustainable. Yeah, it, it's a fair point. I mean, that's that's the type of game where you kind of go in with the David strategy. And if you pull off some of those trick plays, Maybe your team starts to feed off that. You get some momentum from that, right? Because it's like, okay, we know we're the underdog. And it felt like in that game, to your point, they didn't really do that. And Zach Wilson, the pressure numbers have been atrocious. I mean, dead last in passer rating and completion percentage last year. This year, 25th out of 33 in completion percentage, 28th in passer rating. And one of the things I look, like, look at in this game, maybe the second biggest mismatch, because I'll get to the biggest one in a second here, but the Patriots do have a good group up front. That pass rush is good, and we know that Zach Wilson has the seven picks in the four games against the Patriots. 
But has there been any talk this week about like helping them against pressure? Like, are they going to try to get the ball out quickly? Because I do really feel like that Patriots group up front is going to be able to beat that Jets offensive line pretty easily. Yeah, you know, so I'm actually a little higher uh, or more high on the Jets offensive line than other people. I don't necessarily know if I'm that panicky over that line yet. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a matter of they need to find a way to keep Zach Wilson upright. The problem was just that everyone knows the Jets want to run the ball, so they're going to load up the box and force them to throw. And to this point, they haven't been they haven't proven they can do that. Um, they haven't proven that they can do that on a consistent basis. Yeah, you mentioned the running game because they barely ran it against the Cowboys, to your point. What, 16 rushes, and I get part of that's the score. But in week one, they had the huge 83-yard run from Brees Hall. But, yeah, Brees Hall tweeting after the game the four footballs. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. I thought was funny. Yeah, Delvin Cook, who hasn't given them much. I mean, his he's minus 1.7 rush yards over expected per attempt. That's next-gen stat. That's one of the worst, second last in the NFL. The Jets line in terms of run block win rate is 19th in ESPN's metric. But if you look at it, do you think that this team is going to be able to run against the Patriots? Because last week we did see Mostert had a big game against them. I mean, he had a couple of big runs, and we felt like obviously the Patriots defense is it's a good group, but... Maybe the Jets take something from Miami's playbook and just try to run on this Patriots team, even though they didn't have success last week. I mean, the Patriots aren't Dallas defensively. Well, that, I would I would just flip that around. I mean, there's a the fear of the pass. Like, I don't know how many loaded boxes the Miami Dolphins are going to run against with Waddle and Tyreek Hill outside. I mean, you just you can't you have to keep people over the right. top there because if you don't they're just going to go nuts i mean you saw tyree kill go for 200 plus in the opener so the jets don't have they had garrett wilson but the jets don't have tua and and it's like that combination of those two things and i think that's probably some legitimate or that's probably one of the biggest reasons why raheem went crazy when now this is different the the patriots can key in on the run and just dare the jets to beat them through the pass and i don't know if that's if that's going to happen all right, and Sauce Gardner, he was upset last week when somebody posted CeeDee Lamb's numbers. They were 11 for 143, and they posted, like, on Sauce Gardner, which obviously we all know is inaccurate. It's just CeeDee Lamb's stats from the game. But it didn't seem like to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, it wasn't as if that Sauce Gardner was traveling with CeeDee Lamb. So I would just ask you this. is like, the guy is one of, if not the best corners in the NFL already. Why, why wouldn't they have him just traveling and shadowing CeeDee Lamb? Because that's really the one weapon you'd be worried about on Dallas's side. It's the old uh, Richard Sherman rule or the old Richard Sherman thought process because that's where Sala cut his teeth. That's where mm. the, the the bones of his defense are created is in the Legion of Boom. He was on that staff. And he just does not believe in your cornerback traveling. He believes your left corner plays on the left side, your right corner plays on the right side, and that's how you go to battle and that's how you do your job. And Unfortunately, you're going to have people that are creative like Mike McCarthy was. And he says, all right, if you want to keep your two guys there, I'm just going to take my best receiver and move them around to get them away from those two players. And that's what they did. Now, Sauce is the Jets' best corner. DJ Reed's pretty pretty good in his own right. Like, he's a really good player as well. Uh, but what the, the Patriots, or what I'm sorry, the, the, the Dallas Cowboys did was they legitimately just moved cd around to the slot they had him shuffle in like they they orchestrated ways to get him open and it worked brilliantly yeah and to me though i i would just if i have that type of cornerback i would have him on cd oh, i would too i would yeah, too. No, like, i agree i agree with you i'm just telling you what the, their yeah, what their thought is yeah 
Okay, so yeah. Ramondre Stevenson last year, he did not run the ball effectively against the Jets. 97 yards on 31 carries, so 3.1 yards per carry. Ramondre's had a slow start to the season as well. Now, he was the Patriots' leading receiver in both those games, too, against the Jets. Their second leading receiver now plays for the Raiders and Jacoby Myers. But So is there emphasis, do you think? Because obviously the Patriots, they don't have a downfield passing game right now. They don't, quite frankly, have a very good passing game. Is there a game plan despite Ramondre's slow start? Do you think it is still to stop Ramondre and dare Mack in this receiving core to beat them? Because, I mean, if that's what I would do if I was the Jets, I just, I, I mean, Ramondre's had a slow start, but he's still their best offensive player. You know, what's interesting about about the Jets is that they kind of have a, a very unique luxury on defense where they don't necessarily need to, to load up the box. They don't necessarily need to... Um, they have the very, they have a very, very strong defensive line. Um, they have a very, very solid, um, secondary with their corners, with their safeties. Now that Jordan Whitehead's playing some really good football where they have the ability to just play their normal defense and not load up to stop anything. And then they can create their pressure with just their four. So I don't necessarily know if there will be that stance or that that approach of, oh, load up the box, oh, play coverage, because I think they honestly can sit there in their base defense and be successful either way. Yeah, and that's what scares me about this defense is I know the defensive line, the pressure numbers aren't where, where they were last year, but they did play Dallas last week, I, and they played the Bills in week one. But my point with that is just this Patriots offensive line has been a complete train wreck. They screwed it up in the offseason. It's been a real problem for this team. So that's where I think I mentioned the second biggest match mismatch earlier. This to me, the Jets defensive line against the Patriots offensive line is the biggest mismatch in the game. And that's why I have no confidence that the Patriots are going to move the football with any sense of regularity. We saw them against a Miami defense that isn't very talented. They're without Jalen Phillips. And Van Ginkel, this guy just completely ruined the game getting after Mac Jones. So I, I think that the Jets defense is going to have a lot of success getting after Mac Jones. Yeah, that's one area that I I think I feel confident in uh, just about every game for the Jets is that they do have the ability to get after the quarterback. And they can do it with their four because they have a rotation of pass rushers they can throw out there. Bryce Huff, even underrated guy, but they have Will McDonald, Carl Lawson, Jermaine Johnson has really taken a step forward this year. Then they have the interior rush as well with Quinnen Williams and John Franklin Myers. So they really do have the ability to get after uh, just about, I mean, not, not only just the Patriots, just about any team they play. They have the the players there where they, they can they can they can ruin some games. All right, Connor, I'm super excited about Garrett Wilson and Christian Gonzalez going head to head. Gonzalez was awesome last week against Tyreek Hill. And look, some of that was schemed up, but he does look like. It was worth definitely taking a first round pick on Christian Gonzalez. But this feels like this could be a matchup that we watch for the next decade or so in the AFC East. How excited are you for this matchup? It's so here's the thing is that Garrett Wilson is a star. He he is. We saw that last year. And 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 in a normal world, you'd be like, yeah, let's see the uh, a great corner and a great wide out go against each other. My thing right now is that I just I need to see the quarterback be able to get him the ball. And, and yeah. we really didn't see that too much last week against the Cowboys. Now, now Garrett made that ridiculous, you know, touchdown, but that was pretty much the only time he really caught the ball and it was on a slant or not a slant, but like a little in route. And then he just ran away from the defense. And the same thing in the opener against the, the, the bills, he basically needed to beg Zach Wilson to throw it to him. Wilson threw one up on a fade route. It was a bad throw. The play should have been intercepted by Tredavious white. And then Garrett Wilson just made a ridiculous play. So 
yeah, this guy's a stud. Yeah, this guy's a star. But Zach Wilson hasn't shown yet that he can consistently get him the ball. Like that hasn't happened. That's that's what this is. It's very similar to last year, but Mike White stepped in and Mike White got him the ball. We haven't seen Zach Wilson do that on a consistent basis. So, I mean, honestly, that that's more what I look at in the matchup is can the Jets quarterback get his wide out the ball? Yeah, there's so much on the line in this game. I mean, you talk about it from Zach Wilson's perspective, but I look at it from Mac Jones's perspective too. Like, Mac, you cannot go 0-3, and this is not Mac's fault so far this season, but there's a lot of good quarterbacks coming in next year's draft. All right, Connor, before we let you go, we all, of course, saw Hard Knocks, and it was mainly about Aaron Rodgers, but we did see a lot yeah. of Robert Sala and his sayings and his speeches, including he was talking, I, I don't know, the crows suffocating or something along those lines. I forget exactly. But what's his approval rating? I know like you have Dayball there, who was the coach of the year and not the greatest start to the season for the Giants. And they did bounce back against the Cardinals. I mean, we're recording on Thursday. Don't expect them to win in this Thursday night game against San Francisco. But it feels like Dayball is a good coach. I mean, like I think most people really like Dayball. And if you look at it from Robert Sala's perspective, you'd say, okay, the quarterback hasn't really given him much, but where are people at with Robert Sala? Did Jets fans like him? Do they dislike him? No, I think they like him, but I, I will say they like him, but they're at the point now in year three where it's like, okay, show it to me. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like there, there can't just be this. We lost our starting quarterback season's over. We're just going to roll over and die. You know what I mean? Like they need to see it. I think the bigger issue is, is this is Salah's defense and, and the defense is, is great. You know what I mean? Special teams. They're really, really good. I don't think he's had some bugaboos at times with situational football, but every time he's made a decision that maybe was the wrong one, his decision wasn't made out of ignorance. He had, he was, he had conviction in why he was doing what he was doing. It just maybe didn't play out the way that he wanted to. So I think he's a good coach. I don't know if he's on Brian Dable's level. I think Dable might be one of the two or three best coaches in the entire NFL. Yeah. Uh, but I think Sal is pretty good. And, and the problem right now is just I don't know if we've really seen it because the Jets have had these quarterback issues so much. You finally thought it was over when Aaron Rodgers was traded here. But now Rodgers is out. So now we're back to square one, which where which is where this whole thing was with Zach Wilson last year. Is Zach Wilson better? It's 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 a it's a it's a it's a very difficult question to answer right now, but I think they're kind of uh, not a little. They're content. I would say they're content right now. Fair enough. All right. That is Connor Hughes from SNY. Connor, enjoy the game on Sunday. Although if you're a fan of the forward pass, I don't think it's going to be the game for you. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more.
Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from Connor Hughes as we get you ready for a huge one on Sunday. The Patriots and the Jets as the Pats try to avoid that 0-3 hole. Okay, speaking of the Patriots and the Jets, really cool thing we're doing this weekend. Thanks to our friends at FanDuel. We're going to put together a parlay, a four-leg parlay. Me and my buddy John Jastrzemski, you hear him on the pod all the time. JJ from New York, New York. So I'll have two legs and he'll have two legs. Now, Make sure to follow JJ on Twitter. It's at John underscore Jastrzemski. Make sure you're following The Ringer on Twitter at Ringer. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at It's Brian Barrett. JJ is going to put his two legs on Twitter. If you follow The Ringer, JJ is going to quote tweet that. But my two legs, you can hear him right here, Patriots to cover the two and a half and Ramondre for an anytime touchdown. I like the Patriots to cover in this game. And Ramondre has got to get going this season. So I like a touchdown from Ramondre. So those are my two legs. Ramondre, anytime touchdown scorer. The Patriots to cover the two and a half. JJ is going to give you his two legs coming up on social media. So make sure to follow me at It's Brian Barrett, at Ringer, at John Jastrzemski, all on Twitter. Okay, so now we bring in producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. Jamie, I have, for three consecutive weeks, picked the Patriots to win. (laughs) I have been wrong every week. I was wrong about the Eagles. I was wrong about the Dolphins. This is the week where if I'm wrong on this one, I am not picking the Patriots Coming up against the Dallas Cowboys. I will not do it if the Patriots lose this game. If the Patriots somehow win against, not somehow, I mean, they should beat the Jets, but if they beat Zach Wilson in the Jets, I will somehow try to convince myself that the Patriots Mm -hmm. are competent again, right? Like, I'll try to do that. But this week, if they lose this week, man, we're in major trouble, as I was talking about earlier. I, I agree. I, I think you're right when you said that. That might be an all-time low for Belichick. They pull 0-3 and, and lose to Zach Wilson in the Jets. But Yeah, you lose to that guy? Come on. It'd be rough. But as uh, Connor mentioned, there's a lot of pressure on Wilson, too. So if I'm taking uh, pressure on Belichick and pressure on Wilson, I'll take the pressure on Belichick any day. So you think Bill is bigger in the big moment than Zach Wilson? <laughs> It's close, but I'll give them the better of the doubt. Homer pick, I know. All right, so you're going Patriots too. Oh, by the way, I was I gave you my four legger, my four leg parlay. I like to do a parlay on Saturday, a parlay on Sunday. I did hit my college parlay on Saturday. Did mm-hmm. not. We did not hit the NFL parlay we gave out last week. So one and one, not a bad weekend as it pertains to the parlays. Parlay, and I don't. Good. This is probably a bad thing. I'm I'm feeling like frisky about this parlay that I got going this weekend that I, that I gave out. I love the Chiefs, the twelve and a half against the Bears. The Bears are a dumpster fire. You fire or your offensive or defensive coordinator rather has to step away from the team. All kinds of issues there that we won't get into. And then you have the quarterback Justin Fields calling out the coaching staff. And then he's trying to say he didn't call it the coaching staff. But nonetheless, he, I mean, he's probably right that the coaching staff stinks. But also, you probably don't want to say that oh. if you're the quarterback. So I like that. I like to cheat. And the Chiefs offense, man, their defense has been good. Their offense has got to get going. Like, I can't believe I'm saying that about the Chiefs. But that Jaguars team is good from an offensive perspective. The Chiefs looked good last week. They mm-hmm. got Chris Jones back. I don't know what he accomplished in his holdout. But anyway, I like that Chiefs defense. And I mean, I trust Mahomes and company are going to put up a lot of points against that Bears defense. And that whole Bears team stinks. No, I mean, it was a scrappy game, that one in Jacksonville. But, you know, they won on the road against a pretty good team, like you said. So, I mean, I I could see them blowing out the Bears. It's true. Yeah, the rest of the parlay, I had Miami money line against the Broncos, Ravens money line against the Colts, and then I had Mm. Seahawks six and a half at home against Carolina. I am totally out on Bryce Young, and he's only played two NFL games. I just, I, and this is not me saying this like now. I, I never liked him as a prospect. Yeah. He's tiny. I don't know what he does like insanely well. Like, what's his superpower? 
I would have taken Anthony Richardson if I was them. If I traded up to one, I would take Anthony Richardson because of the high upside. And we're already seeing he's already been better than Bryce Young so far. Actually, CJ Stroud has been better than Bryce Young as well. I never liked that pick. And also, that Carolina team, like we talked about this with Mac earlier, he's throwing the ball to Adam Thielen a ton. Like they don't have weapons there. They actually traded DJ Moore away. They don't have a lot of weapons. So I feel like Bryce Young is kind of screwed. And that Seattle team at home is always tough. And it did feel like Seattle's defense is not good. But it did feel like the offense sort of got back on track last week. So I think Seattle covers the six and a half. I feel really good about that one. I feel good about the parlay. I always feel good about them when I make them. So. You always do. Or you know what you even feel even better about? That's a juicy teaser as well, those two. You get the Chiefs at home by a touchdown, or you just have money line basically pick them that the Seahawks will win. That's, that's money in the bank. Again, always sounds like money in the bank on Thursday before the game start, but uh, I like that. Yeah, we'll see how we do on Saturday, and then we'll see if we put in an, an, another couple bets on Sunday. Still, but, Brian, one and one for parlay. That means you're making some money. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, we went 2-0 and the week before, no, which was big. Got to keep a tally. I'm going to start a tally up for how you're doing this Yeah, year. we may have lost it on uh, some other things, but. <laughs> Just Saturday and Sunday. Don't yeah, the parlays, the parlays did work. All right, Jamie, good stuff, man. All right, thanks, Brian. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in, 617-396-7172. And remember, after the game or in the third quarter, if the Patriots are up big, if they're losing big, you can leave a voicemail then because James White, as he does after every Patriots game, he's going to be on with us. So if you want to leave us a voicemail, we'll certainly get to those after the game on Sunday against the Jets. And you can also email us at offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast. And we'll talk to you after the Pats and Jets on Sunday. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, hope is here, visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call one 877 8 Hope and Wire text Hope. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.